All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, rakers? Welcome. This is WTFI Mark Marin. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Today on the show, Asif Mandvi from The Daily Show and from the new film uh, Million Dollar Arm. I think we'd met once or twice before. We'd passed at different points in our lives. And uh, I, I had a great time with him. Uh, his family's uh, from India originally. And as you know, uh, some of you have a fascination with the idea of going to India or India in general, which makes me uh, ask questions occasionally that may seem somewhat ignorant, but they're, they're genuine. Uh, I cannot, I don't know the history of everything. You know, sometimes uh, people who listen to the show get a, a little touchy and I understand that. Recently got an email from somebody that decided that I was uh, a bigot because of the way I talk to Southerners or about the South, which is not true. It's a little lighthearted now, and I think you should uh, relax. I enjoy the South a great deal. I was you know, just in Nashville. I, I, I like the food. I have a great respect for that part of the country. Uh, occasionally ask questions that may seem not so much ignorant, but uh, perhaps uh, a little bit um, pokey. But uh, it's not my heart. Uh, my condescension of that region is done. I'm glad everybody enjoyed the the uh, RuPaul episode that seemed to cause a little controversy with the uh, with people who uh, falling on you know what side they fall on with the uh, the word tranny and, that, and I'm glad that engaged that conversation. But you know more than that, it seems that everybody really enjoyed the sort of spiritual dynamic and the psychological dynamic that me and uh, Ru enjoyed. I enjoyed it. The television show Marin on IFC Thursdays, 10 p.m. Nine some places on the coasts, 10 p.m. Tonight is our third episode, and thanks for watching the show. Last week's episode did very well. I appreciate that. Tonight's very exciting. Janet Varney and uh, Paul Feig uh, guest star on the show. Uh, also, Dave Keckner. Um. Somewhat based on truth, somewhat uh, fictionalized, obviously, but uh, but uh, it, it's a good one. It's a good episode of Marin tonight, and I had to tell my therapist to watch it because um, uh, there's been a, a, a slight history as of late of people taking offense as to characters that are loosely based on them. I don't think he'll be upset, but if he is, perhaps in our next therapy session, uh, I, I can hear him talk about how he feels about that. I, I wanted to, to bring to your attention that today is the um, 499th episode of WTF. Monday will be the 500th episode. We're putting a show together. I guarantee you it will not be the show that you think it's going to be. It will be surprising. There will be talk about me. And it's still coming together. But it was a, it's a very exciting uh, few guests. None of which you'll ever anticipate in any way. But but you can knock yourself out. Saturday, May 31st, I'll be at the National Hispanic Cultural Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico, my hometown. A little nervous to go back, but I feel good. I hope you people who live there are coming out to see me. I don't know how the ticket sales are doing. It's a benefit, and I'm happy to help out. The Endorphin Power Company, I hope. It seems like a good uh, a good place. It does good things. Uh, Saturday, June 4th, I'll be at the first annual, 26th annual Comedy Festival in Chicago, Illinois. Do enjoy Chicago. Tuesday, June 24th, I'll be at the Lawrence Arts Center in Lawrence, Kansas. 
Thursday, June 26th through Saturday, June 28th, I'll be at the Comedy Attic in Bloomington, Indiana. Thursday, August 14th through Saturday, August 16th, the Comedy Zone in Charlotte, North Carolina. As always, if you live in the Los Angeles area, do check with the Comedy Store. If I'm in town, I will sometimes do sets there. I will be there this Saturday night. I believe in both rooms. They usually give me both rooms. So uh, you can come see that. I forgot to tell you, man, when I was staying down at the uh, at the Hutton Hotel in uh, Nashville, fucking, you know, like I'm already nervous about whatever. You know, I have weird, you know, ner- nervousness. I, 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 you know, I have a, a strange, tangible fear of being at home in my house and, um, you know, I'm all locked in. Everything's good. And, and just like uh, a, a team of of assassins come out of a helicopter or some something that resembles a navy seal unit and they just take me away yeah i, I don't know what that's about i i have no idea i as as some of you know i have a fear of space debris um waking me up uh by pummeling me into the ground like just a giant chunk of a spacecraft coming through through the ceiling and, and killing me i have that fear um I have a, a very deep fear of being of being hit in the head with a stick while I sleep. So I'm at the Hutton Hotel, and um, and I'm just sitting in my room, and someone starts pounding on the fucking door, pounding. Hear a woman's voice pounding, and I'm like, uh, I guess I screwed up somehow. I look outside, and there's some woman going door to door, pounding, pounding. At the, it was terrifying. Um, in in that way of sort of like, what the fuck is going on out there? And then I see her come back to my door and start kicking it. And this weird voice came out of me very, you know, instinctively just goes, who are you? What do you want? Like, like, uh, like not what's up, but like, like that, like, yeah, I wasn't gonna open the door, but it was like, it was a weird mix of, of terror and confidence. What is it? What, what can I do for you? Who are you? What do you want? What, what is it? Not very, it's not very threatening though. The, when I think about it, it it's more like a, it's almost like a sort of weird, terrified aggravation. They didn't have a lot of confidence in it at all. And then I saw the security guy through the little peephole in the window. He was looking at her. Then I opened the door and I'm like, what's up? What's going on? And the security guy looks at me and then there's this woman that looks wild-eyed, crazed, crazed. And she looks at me and she goes, are you Sean's uncle? And, uh, I, and I said, I, no, I, I, don't, I don't believe I am. And then the security guy said, um, I'll take care of this. And I said, okay. Uh, I, I believe it has something to do with Sean. Doesn't that just make you wonder what the fuck, what, what, what is that story? You know, like there was a part of me that's sort of like, get the mics out. Let's track this. Who is Sean? What's his uncle doing at this hotel? And why is this chick so fucking freaked out? Huh? What's the backstory there? As you know, my dear friend Todd Glass um, came out on this show and he's got a book called The Todd Glass Situation coming out June 3rd. Uh, you can pre-order it now. Uh, I wrote the forward to that book and I, you know, and, and, and Todd said, can I come check in? And uh, I said, yes. Why don't you come over and check in? And because uh, he calls me occasionally to tell me he's still gay. So let's find that out in person. So let's talk to Todd Glass. Can I see the book? Yes, you can. Can I see the book? Where'd you put the book? 
Because I, I, th- I believe I'm involved in it. You are very involved in I'm it. Involved I know it seems like two and a half years and it flew by. The Todd Glass situation, a bunch of lies about my personal life and a bunch of true stories about my 30-year career in stand-up comedy by Todd Glass. Uh, oh, this is funny. Dear Blank, it was nice meeting you. I really like your blank shirt. I did that because... I'm not at the point in my career where I feel comfortable just signing a piece of paper when someone gives it to me. Mm-hmm. I feel it's a little cold. I mm-hmm. get when you certain people, they can't, you know. So I had a stamp made that said, Dear Blank. Yeah. Then I can go put their name in. I really liked your blank shirt, whatever yeah. shirt they're wearing, and I can sign it. So it's quick, but it's a little more, it's a little warmer. I wrote the forward for this, the preface. You did, and I was very, uh, it was very... It was much more than I thought it was. I loved it, and I thought you did a great job, and I appreciate it. That, well, thank you. I uh, I was happy to do it. Cause thank I, you. Because it's my fault you're gay, right? <laughs> I thought I could like come that? on like, Hel- Mark, there's something else I want to tell you. <laughs> Listen, it was very difficult because, you know, I thought I would just admit a certain part of me, and then I got in my car, and I sat outside. <laughs> And I thought, what did I just do to myself? Why did I come out as the person that's gay, but, you know, doesn't, yeah. I didn't come 100% clean. Well, now I'm, you talk like this now. Yeah, and I sat in the car and I cried for three hours. And I thought, what did I do? I got myself into another lie. Anyway. Uh, so, wait, now, what has it been two and a half years? Yeah. And did did everything change? You know what? I, I was already... You know, like I say, I get sad like everybody else and, and happy, but sometimes dep- uh, sometimes uh, jealous. But So I didn't think my life would change that much, but holy fuck. Really? Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, the you know, you think you get good at juggling the lies, and you yeah. think you also get good at convincing yourself that, hey, I have a circle of friends that know. It's not like my parents don't know. It's right. not like, but still... And then who knows and who does? You know, a lot of people know, and they just, there's so many categories of people. People well, that you know know, right. but they don't. They're not allowed to tell you they know. Right. Well, what well, what happened? Like, what was the biggest uh, change immediately? Well, outside of relief, I got outside. Not to sound overly dramatic, but I did get into my car. Yeah. And I felt heard. Yeah. You know, I felt like you know, I felt like. And I just like that, you know, you know how you know every phrase, but you don't really know it. Right. Like, appreciate the simple things in life. Right, appreciate right. your health. Yeah, I know what that fucking means, yeah. but you don't fucking know what it means. Yeah. And the expression was the weight off your shoulders. Right. Oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> fuck. Yeah. It's so much better. I'm still getting comfortable using phrases and... You know, and and um, saying you know, I'm much better than I was. Like when what? I, like like you know, like, like saying the word gay and you fabulous. Know. Do you say fabulous? <laughs> <laughs> um, but but uh, but I'm getting better at it, and um, and I'm um, you know just saying. I don't want anyone to think like that. I still have a problem with who I am. It's just the word. It's right. not who my being is. Well, when you when after a few months after you come out on my show, uh, were you asked to be a radio guest as Gay Todd Glass? You know what? Only two times something happened like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we're doing- Where you get on a show and they're like, hey, so- uh, Yeah, like so- it's a sports thing. And I was like this, and I was the, yeah, it was something like you're yeah, saying, I yeah. think. And I said no both times. Yeah. I said, no, nah, I don't really want to, I don't want it to make it. Uh, let me tell you something. If I'm on radio and and the gay marriage comes up, yeah, yeah now I can talk about it from an honest place. Mm-hmm. So I, it's not like I don't want to talk about it at all, but I, like I said, I didn't want it to become my being. But yeah, I, I'm not- I. I, of course, I it, it's it's did, I talk about it. Did anybody treat you differently? No, no. no. Matter of fact, Mark, the biggest thing was I know this. Some it's still I, I, I did a show in Philadelphia, 
And I would perceive that if after the show there were these, you know, in my head, I still think I'm in high school. And if right, people, these, people these think bros, they're cool. Yes. The bros. Right. And you want, oh, they think you're cool. So I think they probably don't know because just the way they're, right, right. you know, they're, they're after a show, it's at the bar right. at Helium. And then somebody walked away and was the simplest fucking thing that made me you know, really get a little emotional. And he, and they were hanging out all night and they were cool and I was having a good time. And yeah. they, they got my sense of humor. They listened to the podcast. So yeah. how bad could they be? They're right. cool people. Right. And he, and, he, and he walked away. He goes, I, I didn't want to say anything before, but like, you know, he, I think he said, good for you for dude. I think he put for, for living a real life. He goes, I really respect what you did. Yeah. He goes, I'm not gay, but I've had other lies. Yeah. And they, they're not so... They're, they're, they don't make your life so great either. They're what not, surprised you, know. you the most about writing? Because I found that when I was writing, you kind of find out new things about yourself. You're like, oh boy. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, that was that was it. That yeah. was that I didn't sit down to do it. It was almost like you could probably figure yourself out better instead of going to therapy, just write a, write a book. It's and, crazy. And, and don't let anyone, like no one have, would have to let you know. Like let's say my mom, I, yeah. if I, my mom would be a good example. She's brilliant. Yeah. But if I said, hey mom, they want to write a book about you, instead yeah. of going go to therapy and figure yourself out yeah and she was just talking and talking and talking she would have happened what i had happened and yeah. what you had happened so i don't like to under over therapize things yeah but i think some things you can figure out sure you can untangle things sure. in your life therapy yeah. can be good you of know course. um and i figured out oh that's why i do that yeah that's why i speak up for people like why the fuck wouldn't i have known that you from know? writing you figured that out from writing the you, book you got into a memory or a thing and you're like oh right. that was where that started right being little hearing people say shit no one said anything like, oh wow that's See, why to this day like I, you know for the speak saying stuff just speak up it's so easy to go silent i sat at dinner tables where i i don't think the the main thing the book was about for me mm -hmm. is uh i coined these people the 90 percenters yeah. and these are people that are sort of open-minded but they have that last little bit of ah but i wish they'd give up on this or yeah. i would and <laughs> i realized that if they can turn down the tone a little yeah, bit. yeah yeah or not give up on the gay marriage yeah, and, yeah. I, and i realized they're the problem right because the, the the egregious acts, you know, the Matthew Shepard or someone burning a cross, that's how they align themselves with you. But if you make your tolerance iron fucking clad, they can't align themselves with you. Right. And they do. They think the only difference between you and them is they think you're not brave enough to do the shit they do. Now, you might go, fuck, that's not true. And it's not true. Yeah, I get it's not true, but they fucking think it. That's right. And you're responsible for knowing that speak up in situations i've been silent too in my life you know well, of yes, course because sometimes you're just sort of like nah you know what it's am i gonna ruin the dinner yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean uh, is it worth it and the, or how about this one he's old there's not yeah the know. old is like is he older than abraham lincoln is no. what a friend of mine said <laughs> yeah. meaning you know is that a get out of jail free yeah. card right uh but i've been silent but I've learned that, you know, what what I'm asking people to speak up about in myself isn't fuck faggots or fuck black people or yeah. women can... It's never that. It's the fluffier. It's the little stuff that we perceive to be, well, yeah. fucking speak up. Because it's not about whose dinner you ruin. Whose dinner do you make incredible because someone said something? And also, because those 10 percenters are usually the ones that... That's the one thing stopping them from being active at all. Is that they're like, yeah, I support it, but I don't really get too involved, you know, because of that one little, because in their mind, they're on board, but they don't speak up because they're able to rationalize it because they got that one little problem. Exactly. Now, in your stand up, did your stand up change at all? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> it is. Uh, it did. Uh, 
I don't talk about it a lot on stage yet, right. but at least I stopped talking about my girlfriend. Yeah. Um, Why, are you oh, not with her anymore? Well, actually, <laughs> I'm not, but <laughs> you're like, Mark, you don't listen to her in these interviews. How is your girlfriend? Mark, you... Um, well, first of all, I always felt I wanted to say this when people were like, oh my God, I had to make up those stories about his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go, well, it, look, they were real stories. I just switched the sex, so right. it's not as yeah. sad. Right. Um, but uh, no, and I'm not with uh him anymore really yeah but it had nothing to do with this it didn't no it had nothing to do with this you were with him a long time 15 years wow and and um, to say we're amicable i don't even like to say because we're better than that yeah and um it's takes a little work here and there but it's 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 as special as it was when it was working that's how special it is that it's not working wow you know what i, I yeah. might have said that weird no but, i get um, that so you guys are all right yeah but and but my act i talk about it once in a while um, and uh, what does it depend on? It depends on how, how I feel, yeah. you know, but I don't, but I'm almost sometimes when I get guilty about not talking about it, I think, wait a second, maybe that's exactly what I wanted. Like not to lie, but not if sometimes not your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your job is not being gay. No, right, right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I just, but sometimes I do like, sometimes it'll come up and I'll talk about, you know, Somebody, Louis C.K. said something that really did help me. He goes, yeah. you, you, you keep getting ready to talk about it, and you're waiting till you're ready to talk about it. Just talk about that you're not ready to talk about it. And right. that was actually pretty helpful. Yeah. Because sometimes I'll talk about the words that I hate on stage, yeah. and I'll talk about right. like, coming out of the closet. I, I'd rather if it was like, you know, busting out of the shed. It's, it sounds a little tougher, at least, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I'll talk about stuff like that. And, and certainly certain things, you know, I get emails from people now that are saying, you know, about verbiage, you know, I know you're, you don't like that word. Well, could you stop doing this? Oh, really? And you know what? Like what? I'm okay with it. I do not want to be one of these people that- Which word did they get you on? Sometimes I'll, I don't like, look, the words my fight is on is gay or retarded. Yeah. The other ones I don't usually go public on because then I don't want people to be like, oh my God, but- and you might think, well, aren't you doing it by saying it this way? Yeah. Maybe. Right. But for me, I want to keep evolving. Yeah. I don't want to be the type of person that drops one word out of my act and then the other word and then goes, oh my God, when's it going to stop? I'm done evolving. Yeah. Don't fucking brag about that. Right. I, I don't like saying, I stopped saying pussy because it, you know, the reason those words, I re- realized with the word with gay, the reason people think it's not bad is they don't see the path of pain where it leads back to. I used to use the word retarded. Yeah. Because I never saw the path. It didn't seem that bad. The path of pain. I like that. No, because I used the word retarded and pussy. I used the word cunt for men. Uh, but like cunt and pussy, that goes back to what? Where's the path of pain with pussy? Well, because I'm not a woman, I would imagine it means it means weak. Oh, and 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 it's a, a it slang. means a, yeah, and you know what you know what and and say say I say coward now. I yeah. say don't be a coward. Um, it's weird because I've negotiated that stuff before. I know cunt's no good, even if I don't use it for women. I, I prefer to use cunt for men. I like that. There, there's what people do. You do find a loophole. And you go, well, what about if I know guys that use it for men too? And then I think, well, but here here is my question. Mm-hmm. The thing with uh, I don't. That's been by the way. I thought about it driving here. The yeah. biggest frustrating thing since this is that I'm a little more vocal about certain words right and I even stop myself myself I just thought about it when I would say something like oh I feel a little heavy or I feel bloat I go oh I'm being a little I don't mean to be a woman I go don't do 
that. Yeah. What do you mean, don't be a woman? Don't be honest with your feelings? Yeah. And it's such a cop-out. It's such... First of all, if you're doing it, you're doing it. Yeah. You already did it. So you're a woman. If you think those feelings are connected with women, well, if you say, I feel heavy, and you can't just say it and then go, I don't mean to be a woman about it. And and I stop saying it. I'm like, what, what, am, I, what am I saying that for? It's like... You, you could be more specific. Um, I, I don't mean to be... I don't mean to act like a woman with an eating disorder. <laughs> person that tries to evolve but they're still <laughs> hold on i don't mean to act a woman i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i don't mean to act like a woman with an eating disorder but a guy can have an eating disorder please i'm trying to grow here <laughs> hey i get it we would not have fucking great comedy if sometimes we didn't ignore the collective audience right i get that i'm a goddamn comic first yeah so but but that doesn't mean that you have a blanket. Just listen to the joke. Like, you can still be decent. Well, some people, I think, do comedy. Like, there is a school of comedy that is fundamentally indecent on purpose to, uh, to, push, the, to push buttons. And I and I wa- and I had some of those follow me a few weeks ago. Two yeah. comedians like that. Yeah. On, like when they were, and I was like, all week, I was like, just, you're, you're holding on to that joke for nothing. It's not even fucking funny. I get it if a joke is brilliant and that crowd that night didn't get that there was yeah. irony there. Yeah. Fucking hold on to it. Yeah. Otherwise, like I said, we wouldn't have great comics if you listened to every idiot in the audience. Right. But what about smart people? Yeah. Is anybody smarter than you ever? Do you don't think there's people in your audiences that are smart? You never get emails from brilliant people? That's how we grow. Don't you ever get an email from a kind, decent, gentle person <laughs> that's right? Everybody's stupider than you? The Todd Glass situation. This is available June 3rd, but it's available for pre-order now. I'm very proud of you, buddy. Thank you, and I appreciate it. And you know what? You, you know when you're listening to an interview and it gets too schmaltzy and you're yeah. like, I don't want to do that? Yeah. Uh, I will do one of those things. When I pulled up here today and I parked my car and I turned around yeah. and I looked out, you re- I will remember that view for the rest of my fucking life. Because, like I said, I was happy before, right. but... It's definitely better now. And it all happened sitting in my car with nervous stomachache coming in here and then leaving. And it, and it was all better. And I thank you. Oh, I'm so happy. I love you, man. The lovely Todd Glass. Book the Todd situation. Get it. It's fun. It's fun. He's he's a fun guy. He's excitable. He's very funny, that Todd Glass. And gay. Did did he did did you know that he's gay? I enjoyed my talk with Asif Manvi, and I want you to enjoy it as well now. Asif? Is that right? Yeah, Asif. Okay, I, I, we, have we started? We can. Oh, I, I don't know. Mandvi? I'm not I being condescending. Mandvi. I just, no. I, you know, it's like things get by you. I think that everyone knows my name. I don't know my name. I like the way you say it, though. You have a, like a real sort of purpose when you say it. Yeah, it, 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 almost like... Mandvi? I'm attacking you. Yeah. Mandvi? Mandvi? It's like I'm being reprimanded. It's like I'm in, in school. But that's the not head, the, the whole head, name. The There's more to it. Yes. I would like to hear all of it. I want to uh, hear... The I full name is Mandvi Wala. Mandviwala. Yeah. You want to know what it means? Yeah. There's a city in India called Mandvi. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the Wala means sort of people from 
Okay. It's connected. It's a connecting sort of term. Oh, so that's like common. It's almost like any yeah, name, like a, a green wall. It's, it's in Gujarati, I think, and so which is the language that my right. family speaks. So uh, Mandviwala, real literal translation is people from Mandvi or but, connected to. You can, but that you, could go back generations. It's not. Yeah, yeah. yeah I you mean, can attach wala to anything. In fact, in fact, this is a funny story that my father. So in Gujarati, the, um, the 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 term for honey melon is the word sakartiti. Sakartiti, yeah. Sakartiti, yeah. And so there's a gentleman that my dad grew up with when he was young. His yeah. name was whose father sold honey melons, and yeah. they called him sakartiti wala. Oh, really? And it was it used to crack up my sister and I all the time because Sakar Titi. But that was his name, his legal name. He changed it yeah. as the Honey no, Melon no, from just, Honey Melon. It was just like the guy. I think probably for oh, generations that. he sold. His family was in that business in the Honey Melon business. In the Honey Melon Sakar Titi business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. It's a good story. Your father <laughs> had a, a a slightly, um, you know, crass sense of humor. They, that was the line. I, I yeah, imagine. That I think. Was I think line. he always pretended like he didn't quite get it. And we uh, would like, he'd be like, what's the problem? I don't yeah. understand. Like, oh, like, that's you know. funny. And yeah. then we would be like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dad doesn't know he's being dirty. <laughs> um, but it, so your family is from India? Originally, yes. Born, I was born in India. Really? Yeah. Do you, uh, for how long were you there? I was there for a year. And then I was like, I'm out of here. They left? Yeah, they left. And I left with them. For we, work? My dad got a gig at Bradford University in the north of England, and so my whole family moved to the north of England. Is he a professor? He was a chemist. He was a color chemist by trade. A color chemist? Yeah, which is we don't even have anymore because it's like, I think it's like an obsolete profession. What now. is one? What has? I that? don't even know what they do. Like You'd they, have no idea. It's sort of like dealing with colors and making chemistry. I don't know. That that was that, like that's where you that's, got it, but it, like for art supplies or perhaps fabrics. Yeah, I think fabrics and or, things like that. I think it was like creating colors for fabrics. He's not saving lives. He was he was like I've got magenta nails. Right, he was exactly. <laughs> 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 so we're good on is, that today. You funny can, because I don't think my dad has ever added the words magenta. So that's, uh-huh. that's uh, that would be cool. A color he, chemist. He had magenta nailed, and also that could sound like something completely different. Sure. A hooker. Yeah, magenta, magenta or perhaps a stripper. I just, na- I just nailed magenta. I just nailed her. <laughs> it, it, the color. <laughs> and your mom was, uh, did she work? She, uh, well, then my father came to England and uh, ultimately became uh, a small business owner and had a shop. He sold and colors? He sold colors. It's great. No, no. That he, he made in the back. He sold candy and newspapers to uh, to, to Brits. Was it a shop or a kiosk? No, it was a shop. It was a shop. Why? And he had a, he had a news agency in England. It's called a news agency. See, you know what's weird is that that is not an unusual Indian um, business. No, no, not at all. Like all the Hudson News is. Yeah, we're very good at selling things. We're is it very, just we're selling good, things? We're good merchants. I mean, I don't want to generalize. I don't want to get no. into some racial issue here. Well, but your people yeah, seem to be all over. We if are, I'm not mistaken, right. we are good at we are good at <laughs> selling things, franchises. And, yeah, and and then saving lives. You are. So we're a lot medics. Are you generalizing? I am. I'm being racist right now. Okay, but you can do but it. But I can do it. I'm always fascinated when I find out that Indians are behind something. You know, like oh, that guy, that company is owned by an Indian. I'm always like slightly 
proud and also sort of feel slightly like a failure. Well, it, well, <laughs> no, you're doing fine. But uh, yeah. but it, it it is sort of curious that the way that uh, American ignorance has classified Indians. There's a lot of Indian businesses in in this country, and a Listen, lot. There are of, a lot of Indian entrepreneurs and yeah. very wealthy. Yep. CEOs mm -hmm. and executives and surgeons. And do you know them? I know, all, all, I know all of them. Yeah, well, that's right, I assume. I because, yeah, you guys are in it. Like, <laughs> we're a all in it. We're all yeah, in it. You're in an email. Yeah, uh, email uh, we're like the group. Jews. We're like the new Jews. Yeah. We are the new Jews. We yeah. all know each other. Yeah. And you get the all... updates. Yeah. Hey, Indians. <laughs> guess who's making some money? <laughs> Me. <laughs> what was the situation being uh, an Indian on? Because, like, I don't know. Here's what I know about India, and, and it's going to be ignorant. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has a tandoor oven in their house. Oh, see, now I don't even know what to talk about. I just assumed <laughs> that you guys, no goats? You didn't have... No, we didn't have goats. What? No, none of that. That's ridiculous. No. Yogurt, though. No. <laughs> There's yogurt, right, in the fridge? Some yogurt. We did live in a tree, though, so that was... That's odd. Uh, it was odd. That's, it was weird. That's not was even, weird. I think, essentially Indian. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it's just just going way back. Uh -huh. and they, so my mom would wait. Make, no, let me understand. Like as Indians in living in Britain and perhaps a house or an apartment. <laughs> yes. it didn't come with a tandoor. No, it didn't. <laughs> but now this is blowing I think, I think, my mind. I think, I think I think progress has now yeah. allowed us to have tandoor ovens uh -huh. in our homes. I made a movie about Indian food. Did you know that? It was called Today's Special, mm. and it's on Netflix. That's just a well, shameless plug. No, no, it's not shameless. I feel bad that I didn't watch everything you've done before <laughs> you came over. I was, I'd set aside time, and I watched everything you've done. No, you have not watched <laughs> anything. I've no, done. you know what I did see. You're hard you know not to I, see. No, you know what I did see you do years ago was your one man show. Which one, Jerusalem? Jerusalem Sunday. Sunday. You saw that? Yeah, because you were gonna, you were doing one as well. Probably I did. A, I did a one man show. Um, I don't know what year you did your show. I think I did ninety nine. Yeah, so I did mine the year before. And you were like, "What's this guy?" This, I was like, "Come on, Jerusalem yeah. Syndrome, yeah. really? Is Come that a thing?" Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I was working. I, I was with a sketch comedy group called the Associates. Right. And the Associates were performing in the same space at West Beth. No, this was at Nada. Oh, at Nada Forty Five. Nada Forty Five. So you saw it in a very raw. Yeah, yeah, lengthy... and then I saw it later as well. Well, I'm, I'm that glad. was the first thing I think I really saw you do. Yeah, I you feel know? you feel familiar to me. Uh, I feel like we've met before. We've met uh, several times, right? But we don't really know each other, right? But you're in movies and on television. But I do feel like we've met, right? right. Several times. Yeah, we have. Well, we right. did a stand-up show together one time. Um, that you were. Um, I Where was hosting? that? New York? Yeah, it was in New York. At Luna or something? Where was it? I think it was at... Uh, did I give you attitude? You, you probably did. Like, you, probably you know, did. you're not a stand-up. Yeah, what, you're what, like, brings what the you... fuck are you doing here? Yeah, right? what, yeah were yeah. you just a guy... I was just there trying to make some bucks. Uh -huh. you know, I was just trying to, like, win some points. So, okay, so your dad's selling newspapers and candy yeah. in Britain. <laughs> your mom's, what's she doing? Uh, my mom actually did a, well. She helped him in the shop, and then she so was a family also, business. It was a family business. So you would she go by a, there and, like, you know, you, you would you know, try to take some candy, and your dad would hit your yeah, hand. It, well, I would, I would get stuck working behind the counter after school. Oh and yeah, and it was that whole. And my mom actually was also a nurse. She actually uh, worked in a hospital for a while, and she, you know, both of them seemed to have lab or medical slash type of jobs, and they opted to sell candy. You know, well, that because of socialized medicine, isn't that? Isn't yeah, probably. Isn't that the, kind know. of the way it is? I don't know. Like they, they, uh, they started this business and then they just kind did of well. Continued, yeah. And then we moved to America. Well, it didn't do that well because clearly they were like, "Let's get the hell out of England." Why'd they leave? Why'd they leave? 
England's nice. It's been around for yeah, a while. I know it oh, has. what I was going to ask you though, as an Indian person in England, yeah, what? Because what I was about to say was, I, I I know there's a caste system in England. No, well, yeah, there is <laughs> well, there a is class. In, system. There is one in England. Actually. Class system yeah, in England. Right. Well, yeah. I think it's all. I, I find it, you know, satisfying in some kind of uh, long play that the Indians who were colonized and subjugated yeah. by the British right. today. A lot of them live in England right. and have turned uh, the uh, chicken tikka masala, actually, and the samosa uh-huh. are the most eaten foods in the UK. And that's a victory. And that's a victory in a yeah. way, isn't it? Don't sure. you think? In a yeah, weird we, way? You win. Yeah. You, yeah, like, you're, like Gunga Din came, sure, o- yeah. came over and took over the country. Right. And they, a lot of times, sometimes Indians just walk around going, what do you got in the bag? <laughs> Samosas, huh? <laughs> right. Huh? Yeah. How's that yeah. feel? Yeah. How's that feel? Yeah. yeah. Right. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and give us back our jewels <laughs> while you're at it. <laughs> uh, so okay so he he runs away from england he does really yeah well he was he was it was the 80s you know thatcher was in see i'm Prime like, minister like it was politically a terrible time because of uh she was like uh like i i'm ignorant i know that she was aligned with ronald reagan and that she was fundamentally horrendously conservative and yeah. sort of a hawk yeah uh but i do not know what she did to england I, I, you know i was i was still like sort of like a kid so i wasn't yeah. so into politics at the time but i know that you know she uh the, the country economically was kind of not doing so great it was in the toilet a little bit especially right. like for the sort of middle class working right. class brit but my dad kind of always wanted to, he always wanted to move to canada yeah and then couldn't get visas or whatever, and then discovered that he had this friend from college who had moved after school years ago to Tampa, Florida. Tampa, lucky you. Yeah. So we ended up going from Bradford, England, yeah, which is in the north of England, for right. those of you who may not know, in the West Yorkshire Pennines, to Tampa, Florida. I, of course, knew that. You knew, you sure. knew that. You, cause, yeah, yeah, it came you right a, up. Because right. you've got a map of England yeah, in front of you. Right that's there. why. You've got everything. Uh, and so, and then we moved to Tampa, Florida, where it was like, you know, suddenly I was at an American high school and Ybor City. Ybor, do you know Ybor City? It's an improv there that I. Oh, know. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, a failed idea, Ybor City. <laughs> well, Ybor City, when I was there, Ybor City was like the part of town you didn't go to. Right. It but was, then they tried to make it the part of town you did right, go to they and then they to, bailed on it. Right. Right. Exactly. And now it's like half. <laughs> it's half it, and half, right? It's an idea that. They tried to revitalize it like Times Square in New right, York, and, you know, uh, like trying to t- turn no, it into something and then no. just like, ah. No, there was, a, there was a pull there <laughs> that uh, to the darkness right. that uh, they just wouldn't allow them to have open you, fancy stores. Have you performed down there? Not recently, no. but I've been there a yeah. few times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Florida from uh, from Tampa, Florida, which is. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we didn't know. We didn't know. We we were like this is america there's just strip clubs everywhere <laughs> that's what it is that's america these tampa people. has the tampa has like more strip clubs than any other city in and these the wonderfully country. tolerant people yeah. in florida <laughs> it's just amazing <laughs> yeah it's just, i hope it's all like yeah, this exactly we're here <laughs> so you get there you're in high school i'm in high school how's that how's that transition for you uh it was it was uh it was good you know it was uh it was uh, it was an interesting transition. Because I went from an all boys sort of private school yeah. to kind of this sort of public, American public high school with Florida girls with there, everybody on roller skates and sort of you oh, know. Oh, really? Was that a thing? Down? I don't. 
I mean, it it sort of felt to me like you know, everyone was on like roller I skates. was at the beach all the time, even oh, okay. though I wasn't. You right. know? But for me, from my perspective, it's not that where the beach in St. Petersburg, I guess, right? Clearwater. Yeah, you know, Clearwater. Not, right. Yeah. So I mean, you know, for me, it was like I was in this kind of uh, high school where, and then you know, everything in America seemed sort of way more casual. Yeah. Than in England, you know. Yeah. No. Teachers it's, would like joke around with the students. They've all given you know? up. Yeah. There's no. It's like this. None of you guys are going to do anything. I remember when I first got to to high school there was they were offering psychology as a class uh-huh. and i just thought that was incredible because right. in england it was basically you it's, never, it's not even offered as a clinical no, thing it's it's like exactly <laughs> i was like what is this no, psychology nobody talks wow. about it in england right. exactly. suck it up <laughs> yeah so yeah so i thought that was so it was a lot of that you know yeah. and then i just kind of was hanging out there and then i discovered acting and that was really what were you was there any resistance to uh, your uniqueness as an Indian once you landed in your school or were there Uh, other Indians there did you entertain people there were not a lot of other Indians there was there was one other Indian you know the thing about America that I always find fascinating is in terms of being an Indian immigrant versus being an Indian immigrant in England there was like in India in England if you're an Indian immigrant you're always an Indian immigrant like they will but you're also a, a very established part of the social yes, fabric. Yes, absolutely. But yeah. there's a long history that goes back, obviously, right. you know, between England and India, right. and you know, and right. the thing. Uh, whereas in America, it's sort of like after a few, after a little while, they're kind of like there's an attitude in America where like it doesn't really matter where you're from, like right. you know where you're from, forget that, like we you're an American it, yeah. now. That's right. So <laughs> just uh, pledge allegiance yeah, yeah, yeah. and just yeah. get on with it. You just know, go to the mall, right? Go get to the mall, a handle shop. on what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Just shop. Just <laughs> yeah. start shopping. Figure you out know? who your clique is. Yeah. You know, we're the people that are like-minded. Exactly. Yeah. So I found that, you know, in America, uh, I was this Indian kid who was from Britain. And, yeah. and you know, and for a little while, it was unique. And did then you speak with a British accent? I did when I first got here. That yeah. must have been difficult. It was It was interesting. I, I feel like I, I there was a period of my time where I, in my life where I could have used that British accent yeah. to get a lot of girls. But right. I was too dorky to right. not know how to do it. Yeah. So I just ended up sort of being like, hello. You know, yeah. And just like, and people would say things to me that I didn't understand, like... I remember the first time a guy I was talking sort of befriended this American guy when I got to high school and he said uh, at one point he said uh, well I'm going to take off and I just remember looking at him like I'm sorry you're going you're going to take off (laughs) and I just dealt with all these like weird sort of you know language things (laughs) you know Um, what did he he say when you went he was like yeah I'm going to take off I'm going (laughs) to Like, you I, was just, like, I was like, I was like, I, I really, wow, that's rather impressive. I've never waited. seen anybody and do you that. Waited. And I waited. I was like, never seen anyone do that. And he walked away and he thought, like, well, maybe he'll do it later. Yeah, I was like, clearly he has a jetpack. It's <laughs> not taken <laughs> off yet. It's not working. He's not, he's lying to me. He didn't take off at all. Uh, so yeah, so I dealt with a lot of little, you know, cultural right. things like but that, but nothing bad. Not really. I mean, you know, I mean, it was sort of, it, it was more, I, you know, what happened to me was I sort of became, uh, kind of discovered acting and got into in high school and high school. And I mean, I, I was doing it in England as well. But then in high school, it really sort of, I started, that sort of became what were you my doing clip, in England? right? Yeah. In England, I was in like a children's theater company. Oh. And, you know, I was doing theater like from when I was very young. Now, wait, did your parents open a newspaper business in Florida? They didn't. No, my dad had like a bunch of different businesses in Florida. He actually had an auto paint shop for a number of years. Really? Yeah. So like, my was dad that... wanted to open a bicycle repair shop when he first got to Tampa. That was his dream. 
No, it was just something he thought was cool. And so I, I was like, Dad, you've never even ridden a bicycle. Yeah. Like, I don't know why you think, you know. My parents were, were like sort of entrepreneurs in a way. They were like, we'll open a bicycle. And then one day I woke up and my mother was like baking cookies. And she was like, we're opening a bake shop. <laughs> But I like that they were entrepreneurs, but it was re- it was reasonable. It was reasonable. They, were, they was, weren't building empires. No, no, no. Just mm-hmm. regular working Brothers people. and sisters, do you have? I have a sister. How's she doing? She's doing great. She's a, she's a psychologist. Yeah. Private practice. Yes. Nice. She does very well. Where does she live? She lives in Tampa. Oh, she's still in Tampa. Yeah, yeah. She's down in- uh, A lot of people in trouble down there. <laughs> it's amazing that she charges nothing compared to like what my therapist charges. Right. Like- charges nothing I'm like, the, I'm like wow you gotta do what the market will bear exactly yeah. in New York you're paying like top dollar but she probably only you know has people talk very fast yeah and uh, you know, 20 minutes <laughs> 20 minutes let's get this in and out and they're not dealing with New York stress you know no. that's a whole yeah, other or the, thing or you know? the strange luxury problems right of, right uh, exactly of, <laughs> they're trying to figure out how to get their kids back from the man that stole them who they were married to <laughs> right. you're trying to figure out why you get anxious after you've had three cups <laughs> of coffee that's and true. you're agent hasn't called yeah that's true that's true you just completely just summed up my life (laughs) it's tough man it's um, i'm glad you're holding up (laughs) i'm still here i'm still here my agent still hasn't called but i'm here so you're in you're in high school and you're doing theater like musicals i always like to know if people sing and dance I never did musicals i wasn't i wasn't a singing dancing kind of person i was more like sort of straight theater you know in high school so what you're not doing you're not doing o'neill uh, I was was doing no I wasn't doing it, but we were you know studying in college like we did that stuff. But I'm talking high school in Florida. What well, you... in high school we did more sort of high school plays, you know. Mm-hmm. Five by like, Birdie, no, it's a yeah, musical. We, no, we did like you know like a, Zoo a, Story. We did a play called Up of the Down Staircase, uh-huh. which was about high school kids. Mm-hmm. So it was good because it was like a play about high school kids for high school. Maybe they kids. can learn something, right? Kids. You know, they go, yeah. so yeah. How'd that sell? We, good. It was good. We did. We did. Uh, we did the. There's a play version of the movie Mash. Oh, really? Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, there's a. I don't know who wrote it, but mm-hmm. there was a play version. So we did the movie. We did the play Mash. Uh huh. And I played. I played Walt Waldowski. I don't know who that but was. He was the uh, Polish guy, and there was a whole scene where he like thinks he, they they spook him because he thinks he's got some. Oh, and he's gonna kill himself. Yeah, he's right. kill himself. That guy. It's a whole right. Thing anyway. But it was like you know. So I, they didn't know. They didn't have any Polish looking guys. So they got the Indian guy. To they be switched the, it. The pole. You know? Right. Did they so, switch the name? No, it was still called Walt Waldowski. Okay, that was my that was my first. But you loved that you loved acting. I did, yeah. That's where I started, really, and that's In what I school. do now. I mean, that's kind no, of I know like, you're an actor. I no, but I'm saying like that's kind of you know like what uh, kind of where my career began was sort of like on stage. In high the, school, in, in, in high, Tampa. In Tampa. What was some of your first paid work as an actor? Well, actually, after college, I got a gig uh, at Disney at the MGM Studios in Orlando. It was a street improvisational comedy troupe. So you didn't have to wear a head? No, I wasn't like a goofy. Okay, all right. But I hung out with those guys in the trailer. You did? Yeah, that was like, Like like we we would share the trailer with all of the the Mickeys and Minis. So you'd be in some sort of, what what was your outfit? If you're at Disney, they must have required you wear some matching clothing with the other people. Well, what they did was, so they hired a bunch of actors and comedian types to be in this comedy troupe. Yeah. We all had different characters that we played mm-hmm. that were sort of supposed to be like people who lived in Hollywood in the 1940s, right? Because the whole premise of the place was Hollywood. MGM. And the, MGM the glory and the days. glory days yeah. of MGM. Right. 
And so we, uh, you know, would uh, dress up as like agents and gossip columnists and street sweepers and cops and right. it was Keystone cops and all that. So I uh, was actually um, played a character who was a cab driver from New York. Already typecast. Already, right? Can you, right out yeah, of the gate. Right, yeah. Um, it was better, like if they were really going back, they could have put a <laughs> turban on you and you could have been the, the weird mystic. But I was like, from a, the, I know, but I was a New York cabbie. So I just decided to make him like this New York cabbie and I used to talk like, hey, how you doing with somebody? Hey, how about that? You know, yeah. I just do that. I would yeah. just do, people loved it. And sure the New Yorkers did. loved it. Because yeah. they would, you know. They come, come down like, come oh, down and be like, he's one get the home fries out your yeah. ears. You yeah. know, like that. Yeah. And so it was It was kind of uh, a lot of that stuff. So you would have a little freedom to be funny and Yeah, we'd be out. funny. We'd do sketches. We'd do bits. And then you'd go back to the trailer seeing a guy with a goofy head on his lap looking dejected. We used to be in the trailer with all the guys and the and the girls who yeah. played the characters, sure. you know. Yeah. So our trailer was just filled with like decapitated Mickey heads yeah, yeah. on the wall. It was just like and Mickey's probably, and Goofy's. They probably and stuff. envied you guys because you were, you know, had a little more freedom. <laughs> you could talk. But they would. I remember one time I went out there and I was doing my thing, and the, and Pluto mm-hmm. came out, and he was, and they'd get mobbed when they would come out, right? By kids, so, like by kids, yeah, yeah. and. uh the Pluto, the kid inside, he was like, whatever, like some white pimple face young kid, yeah. right? He turned his head and his head flew off. <laughs> and I just remember there were like screaming children and this little boy. A, a and, catastrophe. And he was like, ah! And, they, and the Disney like suits came down and like grabbed him and like literally like ushered him out the gate like they just like he was, was renditioned yeah it was like it was like when reagan got shot you know what i mean it was just like boom like they were on top of him and they moved him out and they were like that didn't happen people that never happened and children are crying and screaming and just like you know oh, what happened boy. to pluto uh, yeah everything so, was... and his head is lying on the ground and then another disney suit like comes in and sweeps up the head and to this day there are grown people now who are like that's when innocent ended for me exactly i knew there was no easter bunny <laughs> There was no Santa. Pluto was bullshit. That's where the drug started. It all, yeah, that's it. <laughs> the whole generation of moment. kids in yeah. that. Those 10 kids. Those, those 10, 10 kids. kids. What yeah. happened to them now? Yeah, Where's now, that daily show piece? <laughs> they now have huge recording careers. What? Okay, so okay, so you're doing that. Yes. Where do you go to college then? So I went to the University of South Florida. So you stayed down there? I did, yeah. I was State uh, school. Well, because I, I, I was not a citizen yet. So I How long does that take? It took a long time. What was the problem? We couldn't. They just wouldn't give us the thing. We had the green card, but that's all we could get. It was hard. Yeah. So I was, you know, so I was. I couldn't really afford to go out of state because, right. like, you know, my parents were kind of like, yeah, baking, and making, painting cars, yeah, and, trying to yeah. make ends meet. I'm at this state university, and I'm basically taking theater. So yeah. you know, it's like. So your dad's like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, my dad. They're just like they. I think they were like, "Jesus, this is going to be bad." Was there pressure though? To do something else? Yeah. Initially, yes. I think I, I, I think what was, you know, it's, what is that? I don't know. Are they, are it's you leaving? Everything Everything's all right? Everything's fine. I okay. Homeland Security is, is, is. They follow you around? <laughs> <laughs> insert, insert <laughs> hack racist joke here. I think they're coming for you. Uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Um, Got a Muslim in the room. <laughs> they're coming. I think what happened was, you know, a lot of Indian uh, people would come up to me later in life and they'd be like, how'd you do it? How'd you like become an actor? Because 
Indian people. Indian people and, and South Asians because they would be like, we know the culture and you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, you don't just go off and be an actor. Right. It's very rare, you know. Well, but there's I a lot of, I, they, it seems to me just by virtue of like this entrepreneurial spirit and this this uh, ability to run businesses that it's part of the culture. There is a, a sort of push mm-hmm. to uh, to earn and to, to and earn to and work. do something sensible, right. you know, right. uh, go into like get a degree and, right. or go into business mm-hmm. or, you know, do something that is going to make everybody uh, some money and some Yeah, status. I think there's a concern there, especially with that first generation, the yeah. kids of the first generation. Look, you know, we we was we were, you know, we I ran a body shop so you could what? Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna, exactly. You're Not gonna, so that you could become gay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever it is you're doing. Uh, no, but I, I, so my, but I think what happened for me was that my parents were going through this period of time where they were adjusting to another country uh-huh. and they were trying to like build a life and so those first few years in america were a struggle they were hard you know they were sort of trying to make ends meet they were trying to business here and this and trying to do that and was religion part of your life yeah it was you know somewhat my my parents were relatively religious what does it mean to practice as a muslim conservatively well i mean you know i mean my mother became uh much more conservative later on in her life and uh but I mean, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying in, in, in the way that a Jew, like, not Orthodox, like, if you're not a religious Muslim, right? What, what, are, what is the, 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 the habits? I mean, what? what if you are, are religious, no. If you're not, if like, you're I not. mean, you didn't grow up that religious, yeah, right? No. So, I but mean, do you go somewhere once a week? Yeah, or? I mean, you go. It's you basically. It's like you get roped into going to the mosque at the holiday or the the big yeah. holidays or the big right. things, you yeah. know, the 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 big prayer nights uh-huh. or whatever. Uh huh. That's when you go, and you mostly do it just to like I did it, you know, placate just your parents, placate your parents and stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, there was a there was a period in my life where I sort of, um, I guess, was seeking some kind of spiritual. I mean, the, the, I think in when I was in my early twenties and whatever, and I sort of started becoming more of a practicing Muslim, um, and I would uh, pray more daily. And, uh, yeah, I think I think it started for me when I was. Well, it's funny how things happen because it started for me when I, I was sent to boarding school when I was thirteen years old yeah. in England, right. and it was a miserable experience. Really, a, a lot of racism and a lot of kind of you know just British class system right. that we talked about, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, I think I, I I just sort of was seeking some kind of spiritual connection when I was there. Interesting, cause, in because school. you felt uh, isolated. I felt isolated and I felt yeah. sort of abandoned, you right. know, and so and so there was a sense of that's when I really started praying. If they're going to isolate you for being something, mine's will go all the right, way. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I would get and I would get, and they would, and I would get beaten up for like praying to Allah. Really? You know? like, yeah, like there would be sort of a sense of like what the fuck are you doing, you know, mm-hmm. like and uh but but I would so I would pray and stuff because it was mostly just I wanted to get the fuck out of that school, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then that, so there was a kind of an, that's sort of where it got seeded a little bit for me. And then later in life, I think it was always kind of part of my experience. You knew you e- could go experience. there. Yeah. And so, you know, and- Comforting? It, it was. Yeah, it was for a long, and then, and then I think I became- sort of disillusioned with it later you know in after in my 20s or so, well it's weird know? because like if, it, if it's not <clears throat> something you need to keep your shit together mm-hmm. and whether you're disillusioned or not a lot of times you know ritual is a is a habit that right. grounds you right 
You don't need to have some sort of you know tremendous crisis of faith yeah. to stop. You just like a job could be like right, like right. A, I feel okay about I myself. I mean, I've always yeah. felt like religion is a little bit like a sports team. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. like it's kind of what you grew up with, so mm-hmm. you always kind of support that religion right. or that team, even though sometimes you think that like they're just they're not doing that well and you know but you kind of you kind of give up on them yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. Ugh, you know they're not yeah. some then bad players of, but then if they do well yeah. you're kind of like oh I'm, I'm glad i'm yeah. glad you know so it's a little bit like that you but know? in your 20s you went back to it what after you moved to new york and you know what shit was i think when i yeah when i got like after after sort of orlando and you know all of that like i kind of orlando the mgm experience the mgm experience and then came to new york and all how'd that. you come to new york would you how'd you decide that how'd you put the money together what'd you I, tell your well, parents I, I had no money i was just literally like I, I i was dating a girl who lived in who in orlando and she was like i'm going to new york and i was an like actress? yeah to, as a, to do theater and yeah to do, like whatever you know and I was like, I'll go to New York. Yeah. It was kind of like one of those things where I was like, what am I going to do next? You know, I'm not going to stay in. But how'd your parents take it? That By that point, I think my parents had sort of resigned themselves to this reality that I might actually be doing this. Because I, I left college or you know, USF to go and work at Disney, right? So I was- You quit college. Yeah, I kind of, I didn't get my degree. I was kind of like, I was, you know- several whatever credits away from yeah. my degree and I just was like I'm going to go back and finish later I'm going to go make money and do perform I'm performing and yeah. it's what I want to do so I'm just going to go and do that I'm so, the cabbie yeah so I'm yeah. going to go you know and at the time I was like making 400 bucks a week which was unheard yeah. of you know I was like ah, it's great rich yeah so I went and then of course the, the whole thing is like you go you if you leave school you never go back because you never hangs over you yeah you just like you'll go and then other things happen and then you end up you know like for me yeah, I ended up in life. New York and, yeah. then, and then it was like I'm, when am I going to go back to school now you know so you go to New York with this chick yeah and then we uh, and then and then I was in New York and I was auditioning where were you theater. living we were living I was living in Queens you know I was where I got this like one bedroom it was like it was like a so it was not. A, I had one room, in like a railroad apartment with a bunch of South American grad students, and we shared a kitchen. And it was kind of like this. Literally, had a mattress on the floor. And in what part of Queens? Long Island City. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'd like lived there for like ten years. Ten years? Yeah. With those guys. Well, they, they, then I then I moved into a larger apartment, but in the same sort of place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I lived there from. Like, it was easy, right? It was the easy. One and I, paid, up? I was paying nothing. I was. I, I mean, I was paying like four hundred bucks a month in rent. Wow, you, know? you could have so, stayed at Disney. I know. <laughs> and and exactly. commuted or whatever. Uh, that, yeah, I was just like, and so in New York, you know, like I think I was able to like How survive because I had the, so little to pay in rent. How long did it last with the girl? Uh, not much longer. Then, then, then that that ended, and then yeah. I was sort of by myself, and I was kind of like in New York. And were you sad when the girl ended? Well, I mean, when wait, wait, how long did it take for you to feel like something was happening? Uh, I got like I would get little things here and there. I would get sort of like I got an understudy role in a play at Lincoln Center. I got like a, a commercial here. Were, were they like a, typecasted? Yeah. Well, no, not the theater stuff, no, so much. I do a lot of Shakespeare because in Shakespeare, you know, they always mo- they always go non traditional casting, sure. right? So let's like, get an Indian. Yeah, guy. let's get yeah. So I'd play like great roles in Shakespeare, and I couldn't get cast in anything else. Did you, you know? train in Shakespeare? How'd you get the? Uh, well, I did Shakespeare in school. Yeah, when you, you know? were in, in, in South Florida or in South earlier. Florida, yeah, yeah. Oh, was, really? Yeah. It was, like, so I, you had a handle on. I, I knew I knew how to do Shakespeare. Yeah. Wow. So, so I was I was getting cast at like the North Carolina Shakespeare Festival or you know stuff like that. Or Hudson Valley Shakespeare. They cast Festival. that in New York. Yeah. 
So yeah. they just run auditions and there are auditions, and then you go down. You spend three months. And you were out. You were the outside of the box guy. Yeah, I was. This guy like, seems to sound yeah, like one of yeah. us. They they were like, we got to go with a black guy or a brown guy at yeah. some point. You know, some it's tone. Something. Yeah, some color. So uh, so I get like roles. I actually so I, I kind of was making a little bit of a living, and then I was also cater waitering and doing other shit like that. You the, know? the traditional cater sort waiter. Like, yeah, doing yeah. that. Standing outside Actors Equity at five in the morning with my headshot and resume and a cup really? of coffee. Yeah, it was like all that. You know, and you're really working it you were ambitious i would get up and go and audition for like pippin and like you know poughkeepsie what would you call your first big break my first big break actually um was my one-man show i think that i that i started writing because i got so frustrated with like sort of doing nothing bullshit you know what but you were doing like summer shakespeare yeah i was doing doing, i was doing theater but like commercials I did commercials, but I really wanted to break into like TV and movies and, and stuff and, like and that. And the way to do that at that time, what year are we talking? We're talking 98 was when I actually did the show, but I was this was early, mid-90s, you know? And there right. were no so, brown people on TV at that point. And One Man Show was still a viable option. It, I mean, it was yeah. always a viable yeah, option. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and what was it called? Sakina's. It was called Sakina's Restaurant. And, you know, look, I had I had seen, I was a big fan of Bogosian and like right. So what was left of that, yeah, that performance arts scene, you yeah. could still do that. I, I mean, I did it. Yeah, yeah. So and, and it was one of those things where I was like, I, 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 I watched those guys and I had I'd done their stuff in school. Like I had been uh-huh. Bogosian when I was in school. Uh-huh. And so I, uh, you know, I started writing my own stuff. Because what happened was that I thought, well, I'll go do stand up. And um, I started doing stand up. And I realized, like, as I sort of, I don't think I was a very good stand up. And I, I started doing it. It's also it. a hell of a path. You know, I mean, if you've got a broader talent and you don't have a passion for stand up. Right. Uh, you, you know, it, it's 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 a it's a long journey. I mean, to to sort of have it in your mind that you're an actor and you could do a one man show and then be like, all right, you got four minutes. Yeah, we it's at one thirty in the morning, yeah. and that's how it starts. Stand up stressed me out. It really stressed me out, and I think it takes. <laughs> I'm impressed by the people who who like have stuck with it over the years and taken the beatings. You know, because yeah. it's a Why? torturous way yeah. to live. It's yeah. terrible. I know. And and uh, you know, so I would get up and I'd go to like remember the ye old triple in in New York. It was across the street from the improv, the old improv. Oh, really? Yeah. The, on 44th Street? Yeah, I was like down there somewhere. And I'd go to Yield Triple Inn at like at like one in the morning and get up and like do like, you know, jokes for like fucking eight people or whatever. Uh, and they, and, and it, I was terrible. I was a terrible stand-up, you know. Do you remember ne- what, what was your angle? It was just stuff like, uh, you know, I think <laughs> one of the first jokes I ever wrote was like, uh, about working like uh, my girlfriend is I'm Indian but I was raised in England and my girlfriend is American but she's Dutch and uh, you know German mm-hmm. so we're gonna get married at Epcot Center <laughs> oh you know like it was that like stuff right it was terrible just awful awful stuff uh-huh. and and, uh, and I realized that like I hated doing stand-up I was not good at it uh-huh. And uh, what I started, what developed out of it, though, were these characters. And I started sort of like wanting to write mm-hmm. characters that were actually where I could act and sort of inhabit right. these characters and do that. And that was the, 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 the basis of and the one-man show? that was the sort show. of genesis of the one-man show. What was the I, premise? Well, I just started, I just took characters from my, I just took my family. I, yeah. just, like, like, well, I was like, what if I did a character based on my dad? 
you mm-hmm. know, and just or like, what if I did a character based on my sister? Right. And and I would just do these, and I would just write monologues. Right. And and th- and that sort of evolved into a more theatrical kind of thing and it was like not for stand-up clubs anymore because stand-up is so much about the joke you know it's all about no it's a whole different world it's a it's definitely the trenches yeah so i would do these characters in stand-up clubs and people would be like it's not funny yeah it's interesting but it's not funny yeah it's the worst (laughs) you know you seem to be good at something (laughs) yeah but not this (laughs) (laughs) so i was like i don't want to be interesting in a stand-up club that's the worst thing to be so how long did it take for you to create the one-man show well then i then i started studying with a guy in new york named uh, Win Handman, and Win Handman is I heard uh, about that guy. He is uh, he's nine in his nineties now, but he uh, he was a big guy, like he was like an a, important. It was he, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was one of the premier acting teachers in 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 New York, and yeah. cont- and and is today, and had his sort of roster of people that have studied with him. Yeah. Everybody from like Raul Julia to Denzel Washington right. to Richard Gere to. You know, and he also had Bogosian and Leguizamo and these guys in his class, and he helped develop them. Uh, what did you learn from him? I learned how to write a one-man show. I basically got in his class. I auditioned for him. Yeah, and uh, got in his class. Yeah, and it's mostly a scene. It was a scene study class where you get up and do like you know check off or whatever, and and but then I started working on these characters and he would let you bring them in and he would let me bring them in and he would help me develop them and shape them and give dramatic tension because i would just write these monologues right that were just kind of like me spouting off everything i wanted to say right and then he would be like okay that's very interesting and 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 not particularly dramatic right and so he taught me how to write uh, theater how to like so, actually so he's working as a dramaturge yeah like he would he would const- help me construct tension and so as drama. an actor you were good I felt like I was yeah I mean it, I felt was like not that you didn't learn anything from like any keys to to the craft of acting necessarily but he, well he did give me I mean you, you know I mean inherently in that process was also learning about the craft of acting I mean when I remember one of the things when said to me is like you know, when you're writing a, a character in a mo- that's a, a one man show, like you've got a character, and that character is going to be on stage for the next ten, fifteen minutes. Yeah. Say, there's no way you can prepare for the journey that you're going to go on emotionally as this character. The only thing you can prepare for is the first moment. So when you so find the key that unlocks that first moment, and then let the ride take you. And that was very helpful in in sort of performing a one-man show because unlike a play where you have another actor or character prompting you into the next moment right you're doing it all yourself it's it's all self-motivated in a, in a one-man show like, right you know it's just you and your own writing that's yeah. taking you emotionally from one place to the next so he was he gave me a, a an interesting tip which was well not tip it was actually a lesson you know which was that don't try and prepare for the whole thing just prepare for that first moment and then you will let the emotions carry you through the thing and also just in terms of of writing and that also gets you out of the script yeah yeah once you get that in and especially these are personal characters to you uh, it gets you out of it gets you in the present yes it right. does it, it forces you to be into the in the present and in the present you can create things that you never thought that you would you know, like that was what was so great about Wynn's class and developing that was that I could get up in front of other actors and, and essentially an audience yeah. twice a week and just perform 
And what, what it was able to do, it, it was allowed me to improvise and create in the moment and then go back and be like, oh, I'm going to, okay, this is how I can it, put that in. I can put that in. And that, you know, and that was really uh, an important thing. You don't, you, it's a luxury that you don't always get, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I do that when I try to craft stand up. You know, right. I, I just get myself a, a space and bring people that like me in. And do that, and just do that, right? Yeah. yeah, and you and and you fail, and you things don't work, and, right? You know, and it's great, and it's it's the process. You know? It is. It's a, it's a it's a more emotionally engaged uh, process than mm-hmm. writing a joke. Yeah, yeah, and and you realize also that there are so many things that are funny that you don't think are funny. Yeah. So what happens in that experience is because you can sit in front of your computer or whatever and be like and write a joke and yeah. be like, this is really funny. But then you get up on stage and nobody laughs because it's too contrived right. and constructed exactly. and whatever, right? Yeah. But then something very human happens. Yeah. And they, something very real happens. And that makes everyone right. just bust and, the gut. And then you just rack your brain uh, in, in as to how to recreate that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and you can't actually. What you can do is you can sort of tag it as yeah. like, okay, so this is... What, but but you have to live it every time, and that what was so great about doing Skinner's Restaurant, and I got to do it for almost when we finally did it at the American Place Theater, which was Wynn's Theater in '98. I got to do the show for almost six months. Yeah, and the show evolved, and you would lose jokes, and then you'd get jokes back, and yeah. then you try to figure out. And that's what I love about theater is that that in theater, you uh, you 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 learn how to sort of you you go on a pro on a journey where you have this thing and it's beautiful and it's, it works and then and then at some point you lose it and you're like fuck nobody i'm not nobody's paying attention anymore yeah. like then nobody's laughing Especially like i've me. lost the i'm not really <laughs> crying anymore i'm just fucking bullshitting up here you know and i got to get it back and that is the brilliance and and the sort of wonder of theater for me is that, like that moment when you're like okay how do i get this back cuz i can't do the same thing i did and I can't just sort of bullshit my way through this. I got to find the truth in a different way again. Yeah. So, and that's when I found, you know, like that's what was so great about doing Sookie in this restaurant for six months was I would find different elements to that same story that allowed it to be new for me and new for the audience after like having done it for four months. And, and you had the creative freedom to change it up. If yeah, you wanted. Exactly. Yeah. And that is the thing. It's the, it's the actor's medium. There's no other medium like theater. Uh, that that is so dependent on the actor and what they do. Right, but if you were started riffing in the middle of Henry, oh yeah, sure, you're yeah, not gonna, yeah, yeah, you can't, yeah, because yeah, I wrote you, it, I could do anything, right, I want. right, yeah, yeah. If you just started go on yeah, your own rant yeah, in the right. middle of, although the, I have seen actors go off on a rant in the middle of Shakespeare. I did it, oh yeah, I, I, oh yeah, <laughs> I did it once. I was doing Taming of the Shrew down at North Carolina Shakespeare Festival. I walked out on stage. I had the first line of the play. I said the first two words and I completely forgot what the rest of the, I had a monologue yeah. and I completely forgot. And we were on the road. We were like, we've been doing the show like eight shows a week. For you just like, went blank. I just went completely blank. <laughs> and the other guy looked at me on stage and he was like, eh, you're on your own, pal. And he was just looking at me and I'm just like, holy shit. And the thing is, I remember holding on yeah. to like, I don't know, I think there was like a, a pole or something and I just held on to it because it was somehow like it yeah. felt safe yeah. for me. Like I just needed to hold, ground myself. And I started again, did not remember anything, and just started making up shit. 
just started making up words and things until and the thing is the great thing is that it's the first like five minutes of a play, of, of, of a Shakespeare play. Yeah. The audience has no idea what the fuck they're listening to. Right. So Except they're for the just, one guy. Yeah, there's one. So they're just trying to get in tune with the like language and the thing. And so you could just be like, Thou fourth hath come to me, for I have never seen such a place. <laughs> you know, you just go and it's just bullshit. And I was just, and the other guy's just looking at me like, really? <laughs> You're just going to make shit up until you figure, and then I finally somehow found the lines. You did? Yeah, and then just like, and then like, you know, we're off to the races. But it was like, there was a good like, I think 30 seconds of me just, you know, forsooth, for thou have never seen Tranio. For I am not what I may seem to be wearing. <laughs> and no one came up to you after and no, said, people were uh, like, that was brilliant. <laughs> brilliant stuff. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> just the tone. Yeah. He's it, in it. You He's just in. you just commit. You just yeah. commit, yeah. you know? In fact, I did, I, I in that same, when I was in North Carolina, that uh, um, with a, uh, a production of King Lear, and uh, there was this old actor playing Lear, and um, he would go up on his lines every night. Yeah, and he had to he had to curse out his daughters in the play, and Shakespeare had written these beautiful poetic curses yeah. for him to say to Goneril and Regan and all the you know, and he would forget them. Yeah, so he would just consistently dis- he would consistently forget the curses. So he would just go into this rant of like just using contemporary curses and he'd just be like thou whore bitch thou tapestry of just vile you know and he would just make up shit and and he would just like start calling them like bitches and whores and like you know sluts I think he used slut which is not a word you know like you know or you know um, so a loser yes yeah how loser (laughs) Loser, really? <laughs> um, and the audience never knew he that put he the was, L on his forehead. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the hand up. People in Shakespeare, just, the, uh, the audience acts like they know what's going on. And they know they, they're supposed to be there. Yeah, yeah. They, they've they've seen the play before, so they kind of yeah. know. They know. Oh yeah, I know where we're going. But yeah. most of the time, you're just like, I I don't know. I have no that idea. Could be, it's that not my could bag. Be true. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So the one man show. Does that is that was that your break? It was it was the moment when I feel like uh, people sort of started to take notice of me a little bit. Yeah. You know, like I got a, I got a big article in the New York Times. Right. And we got a terrific review, and uh, it was when people sort of said, "Oh, this guy, you know, let's think about him for something here casting." You know. But you had done other stuff before that. I had I'd done like uh, you know bit parts in movies and things, and you know I, I was I was working. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like I was. Uh, right, done some. I, I was doing that, and I was combining that with like sort of, like I said, waiting tables. I, mean, and, I didn't you realize know. you did your cabbie character in uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, that was my first. That was actually my first thing movie ever. Did you use the character from the Disney? <laughs> there was. I wish I had time. It was literally like if you watch it and you blink, I'm, you won't even see me. Like it's literally like Bruce Willis steals my cab on. West 72nd Street. But you did a lot of those parts where you're like, there's a, okay. Yeah. 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 That's like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I played a lot of doctors who were just like in the, you know, just one line here. The funniest thing about like, about the idea of typecasting is that if you go and look at your filmography and the the name of the role. Oh, yeah. 
terrorist, yeah, Arab exactly. cabbie, exactly. Mohammed, <laughs> Aziz Kadim, Khalil Saleh, yeah. Indian guy, <laughs> Indian guy, Doctor Shulman, <laughs> Doctor Shulman. That was a big break for me when I didn't have to play. Like, that was analyze this. I like that movie. Yeah, it's like a guilty and pleasure I remember, of mine. I remember Harold Ramis. I met with him mm-hmm. and I auditioned for Doctor Shulman, and I thought for sure they're going to turn it into Doctor Patel, right? You know, and uh, and I remember like he cast me, and I was like super excited because I got to work with De Niro, yeah, and uh, got to the set. And I'm I trying s- to remember the part. Yeah, I played the doctor who uh, diagnoses De Niro with uh, having an, an anxiety attack. And he's like, I'm having a fucking heart attack. What are right. you talking about? Yeah. And I'm like, no, you're oh, actually yeah, having yeah, an anxiety yeah, attack. Yeah, you know? yeah. And he's like, I don't have anxiety attacks. Yeah. It was the very beginning of Emily, yeah. right? And so uh, I get on set and I said to Harold, I said, so wait, it says on the call sheet, Dr. Shulman. Yeah. And I was like, and I just sort of pointed at my face. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how people are going to react to that. Yeah. That and and he was just like, he just didn't care. He was <laughs> like, yeah, that's fine, Doctor Shulman. Yeah, I, I believe it. I believe it. I was like, I guess I'm Sephardic or something. I was like, I don't know. Was it bothering you from the point of view of like, how am I going to build this? Character? Yeah, it was like, it was like, how did this guy? How do I get to? You were be? thinking about that. Yeah, I was like, because that was the kind of the you know that happens scene. to an actor. Like, right. you're going. You're trying to build a backstory, right. like okay, so maybe my name is actually like, uh, you know, Subramanian, yeah, and I've g- decided to just take a Jewish name, a moniker, yeah, to just make it easier for everyone. This is this because is- I'm wearing a badge that says Dr. Shulman, and now I've got to like stand there in a movie with a badge on my thing that says Dr. Shulman, and for me as an actor. I was like method about it. I'm like working with De Niro, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just like I got to know this shit. And what you come up with? That's what I kind of came up with. Was he, like, just, he just, he just changed his Indian name to like some Western name so that people wouldn't mispronounce it. I, I hope uh, De Niro appreciated the work <laughs> he put in. I don't think De Niro even thought of. It. I don't think he even he just didn't even know what my character's name was. I, and we and it was funny because I knew all my lines and I was yeah. like because I was super like oh my god I'm working with De Niro and 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 uh, and it was the first day of shooting mm-hmm. and De Niro I didn't and and I get on the set when there's you know legend right Robert De Niro and I start doing the scene with working him and, with he, him, yeah. and he doesn't know his lines he's yeah. like he's like what wait what do we what are we, what's happening what do we what's yeah. wait what's the line and people and, and I was like holy shit Robert De Niro doesn't know his lines <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like and then I was gonna judge him and then I was like who am I to judge like he's like he doesn't need to know his lines right. I'm the one that people are looking at <laughs> to make sure that I don't screw this up like but, De Niro doesn't it doesn't matter do you think that's just the way he worked because it's weird when you do things and as you know from doing movies now like a lot of times you go scene for scene yeah yeah I think he just, I just think he was kind of like yeah and, and he was brilliant yeah you know? well he's got he was, the character in place he, yeah he had the character he knew what he was doing he right. just was going up you know so he was asking but i was like kind of you know this young actor who right. was just like that's yeah. terrible i was like Niro doesn't know his i'm not gonna tell anyone <laughs> I better not let, i'm so disappointed in him right that kind of thing like oh it's yeah, a, that, the whole illusion right, is right, shattered right, right until i realized it didn't matter yeah you know, it didn't matter what he was doing yeah. what mattered was i what i was doing because that's who people were actually looking at but that, uh, there's a lot of funny parts in that movie there's a couple of scenes in that movie that just kill me yeah it's, yeah, it's, so yeah, it's a great movie. I loved it. And yeah, I loved uh, working with those guys. Oh, electronic store salesman, Kashok <laughs> Singh, yes. engineering Sam yeah. Ganesh. There you go. Um, all Doctor Mitra, Doctor yeah. Faraj, <laughs> Mister Aziz. Here's the thing, we, Satish what, what, Hassan. What happened after a while was that I would, I would, I would audition for either terrorists or doctors. So it was all almost like. 
the way Hollywood saw brown people was we either kill people or we save them. <laughs> like, it's one or the other, you know? But was there, did, did you find yourself insulted after a certain point? Um, you know what happened was, I, after 9-11, things sort of changed in terms of, like, my relationship to certain roles that I was getting offered. Because uh-huh. then suddenly I was getting offered roles that I was like, oh, this this is... Because in the early part of, like, coming to New York, I was... The you 90s. Know, I, I would go in and, like, for a snake charmer or whatever, right. right? And it was, like, insulting from a kind of stereotypical sort of, like, nobody... You know, Old-timey yeah, way. Like, yeah, like, they were like, you're a snake charmer, and by the way, do you actually know how to snake charm? Yeah. You know, they get questions <laughs> like that, right? Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, I'm Indian, maybe, probably, I probably do, because I just wanted the job, you know? I was like, I, I'm sure I can do it. I'll do some, sure reading. I'll do some do reading. Yeah, I can yeah. do it. Uh, but then after 9-11, what happened was that there was uh, roles where I would get called for like Muslim parts uh-huh. that were genuinely sort of, I was like, I can't put this in the world. Yeah. Like it was sort of like, like you what? know, just like, you know, there would be, uh, I remember there was a movie, um, actually there was, there, was a, there was a movie called Hidalgo yeah. that I got sent by my agent. Yeah. And it was about uh, Viggo Mortensen ended up being in that film, and it was uh-huh. it was a movie Disney actually put it out. I remember. And uh, there was a line in that film, and this was right in two thousand and three when we had just invaded Iraq. Yeah. And um, there was a line in the movie where Viggo Mortensen's character says, his girlfriend says to him, he's about to go to. It was set in like the eighteen hundreds when he goes and runs this horse race in the Arabian desert yeah. against all these Bedouin, you know. And she says to him, go kick some Arabian ass cowboy. And I was like, I can't be in a movie yeah. that has that line in it. Right. Like, not today. <laughs> yeah. Not in the world that we are in. Not on the on sort of as U.S. Marines are invading Baghdad, you right. know? Like, I can't be in a movie that says, go kick some Arabian ass cowboy. Right. And so I didn't even go in for the, for the audition. And so then that's when things sort of changed. And there was a, like a political element to the roles that I was being offered and I was having a political or social, sociological kind of reaction in terms of like somehow representing something in a right. way that, oh, like maybe being in this is saying something in the world that I don't want to say, right. you know? So uh, there was a change, yeah. And did that happen more than once? Yeah, yeah, it happened all the time. I mean, there were movies, I mean, there were scripts I got where like it would literally be like Muslims praying and the World Trade Center blowing up in the background. Like it was literally like, and can you be like this guy like praying and, you know, going up and down on your knees and then we'll have a montage of the World Trade Center like yeah. exploding. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I can't, I can't do that. Like what do you mean? Like I know, I'm not going to do that. And it was just like, you know, it was crazy to me. But yeah. I got I got a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, every every brown actor did at that right. at that time. You know, it was kind of one of those things where suddenly we were getting these scripts where it was like, you know, we were now we were now just the the sort of brown dark face. Well, I think it's always terrorist. been that way, and it continues to be that way, and yeah. until your your personality transcends exactly uh, culturally transcends the color of your skin or or your ethnicity. Yeah, that the, the opportunities are still limited until someone can go like. Uh, you know, like, oh, that's uh, Steve, you know, like, yeah, yeah. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and until that happens, right? until you have credibility as a personality, right? you're just, you know, yeah, yeah. where does the brown guy fit in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the What's thing our is, quota? Right. And the thing is, like, it, it's still one of those things where for a long time, I think, you know, there were no roles. I mean, now it's different. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's, 
there's much more roles out there on television and stuff where you see like you know in South Asian or Middle Eastern actors. Well, I think the so- the social fabric has changed, and I don't know I don't know necessarily if, if I'm going to assess it intellectually it is because there's been any great. Uh, well, obviously, there's been progress, but I just think the cultural fabric has become right. very different. Right. It's not. It's not an unusual thing anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I think. One, I think two things. I think still something happens, which is even even today, which is that what happens is that like brown actors either play into a stereotype that that exists, where you have like shows like Outsourced or yeah. whatever on NBC, you right. know, or they are completely their cultural ethnicity is completely ignored. And they end up essentially playing white people right. who just happen to be brown because it's almost like there's a uh, a, a cultural, a token sort of brownness yeah. necessary, you right, know, right. or whatever. And Balance so, it out. Yeah. So like, so you just have like a, a brown guy playing a guy named Bob, right. you know, which is, which is sort of equally, abs- it's, it's absurd. And, and, you know, some people will be like, oh, well, that's great. It's, you know? it's like, a, it's like um, a hackneyed attempt at assimilation, right? That that you know, it's just sort of like they're just a general American. We don't need to yeah, change. Yeah, yeah, we don't need lines. to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, and I and I used to go in for roles like that all the time, where yeah. it was literally like they'd be like, it'd be written as a, like a fat Jewish guy, right? And they would be like, but then we'll see like Indian guys, and I'm like, okay, but you can't just keep him as a fat Jewish guy. Like yeah. you can't like have his persona and the way he talks and the way you know what I mean or right. like a black guy you know right. or whatever or a Hispanic you gotta and they would and they wouldn't care they would just be like it doesn't matter it's just it's what it, so you know you'd end up saying like Shlemiel right. as an Indian, with an yeah. Indian accent you know yeah uh, but you know it was sort of that kind of thing where I, I found that I uh, would, would go into these uh, auditions and whatever and it was just you know you'd just be like oh this is nobody has thought this through and there's not He's not really an Indian, a South Asian. It doesn't really represent my experience of like being an, a brown guy in America. Like right. he's just he's just t- it's just a guy. It's uh, just a guy. And, yeah, and, yeah. and and I think a lot of times people will say, "Well, that's progress." Right. And it is in a way. Right. But it's also not taking into account that we are there are different ethnicities. Well, it's, like, you know, it's, it's it's progress in terms of employment. Yes. But not progress in terms of of cultural acceptance. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. When you got the Daily Show opportunity, yeah, how did you? How did they? How did you find that? Was that just an audition? It was an audition. It was literally, you know, I had been doing, like I said, I was doing theater and you were on The Sopranos. I was on The Sopranos. I played a a doctor, doctor on Sopranos, and uh, yeah, I was doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And then I get this call to audition for The Daily Show. Yeah, and uh, you know, for me, initially, I turned it down. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, this is going to be some fucking bullshit thing where they want me to come in and sit on a magic carpet and do a sketches. Oh, really? Because like, yeah. I, I had done that kind of stuff, like for Letterman, and you know, I went in and it was the voice of Saddam Hussein on some sketch they were doing, and I thought it was going to be that, right? And yeah. then, then they were like, no, 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 they're looking for like a correspondent, like a Middle East. And the, the thing is, it was just a one-off gig when I started. Like, yeah. like they, I guess what happened was they had written this piece... It was during the Hezbollah-Israel war in 2006, and they'd written this piece that was from the perspective of a Middle East correspondent. So it was a daily co- a casting. It wasn't like they just, they had the thing, they needed somebody they for needed this someone. one They thing. were like, we don't have this guy, so yeah. we'll just bring in a bunch of Middle Eastern-looking actors yeah. and have them read, and, right. and we'll give them, you know. So when I came in, 
I auditioned and, uh, you know, I just was like, look, I don't know how to do I, I mean, I watched The Daily Show. I was a fan right. and I loved John and whatever and came in, met with John. And I was like, I'm just going to do like my best Stephen Colbert impression. Yeah. See if I can book this thing. And uh, so that's what I did. And then John turned to me and he was like, congratulations. Welcome to the show. You're on tonight. Yeah. And and I was like, wow. And then he was he had me on the show that night, which was really weird because nobody in my life knew. I didn't have time to tell anyone because we I auditioned at three, yeah. we rehearsed at four and they tape at six. Right. So there was that was it. There was no time to tell anyone. And so at eleven o'clock that night, people were like calling me up and like, Were you just on the daily show? Like well, what the fuck? Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh but the great thing was that John uh just said I want I wanna have you back. You know, and, and let's let's just I like you. Like, you know, and let's just keep having you back on the show. So he just kept calling. Right. And they'd be like, Do you want to do another thing? I'm like, Yeah, great. And I just keep going back in, doing one offs right. for like the next four or five months. And that was kind of my audition period. That was sort of like my trial by, you know, whatever. And yeah. then after like a few months then they they called and like, John wants to see you and so I went into the office and there was him and couple of producers and they were like we'd like to offer you a contract as a full-time correspondent and so then that's when i really started on the show and then did you start producing pieces well not producing them but you know uh i i was as as they didn't send me out in the field for a long time because they were that was a sort of another area you know they they just had me in the studio so i would they'd write the chat we'd go in and just basically do the chat you know and then after a year or so, I started getting out in the field and sort of, and that's really where the correspondents have the most fun because we get to kind of you get improvise, to improvise yeah. you get to, the, you get to pitch in ideas for jokes and whatever. You get to and, keep you know, a straight face. Yeah. You, you know, as people kind of implode yeah. in front of you. Yeah. And it's a, and you know, it's, I remember Samantha B said to me actually when I first started on the show, she's like, no, no one teaches you how to do this job. Like you're, you're only going to learn how to do this job at this job. Yeah. Um, because nobody else does it. Yeah. And so it really was like my first few pieces were very clunky and yeah. I didn't know what I was doing and I was just kind of, I thought I was doing a real interview, <laughs> you know? I think it's probably and, the way to approach it, right? Yeah. Well, I, then you realize that like, oh, we, you know, like I have a lot more control in this situation than I am, than I think I do, which is I can stop and start and go at my own, and you know, you start right. to, you start to realize just that cut it like, up. yeah, and you start to also realize um, how to ask people questions that are going to, you know, elicit responses that you want them to, you know, because yeah. they, they do a pre-interview yeah. and they will ask people, you know, look, uh, these are what are your thoughts on this? And people have very strong. Well, it's opinions, amazing that you know? given even knowing the show, that people will go in. Yeah. And- well, I think we also talk to people who no one else is talking to sometimes, right. and they kind of want to. Get their voice heard. I mean, Who was that guy you sunk? The the guy in North Carolina yeah. was it? Like yeah, yeah the the uh, Yelton. You know, uh, you know we can hear you. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, that was a classic example of something where we went in, had no idea it was going to go that way, you know, and and suddenly he starts just saying all this stuff, and 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 I and, and I now done enough pieces on the show and was felt like I was knew enough to just say okay like what I need to do right now is just stay out of the way 
and let him drive this bus off the cliff. Because if I now start like trying to goad him, he's going to get self-conscious and he's going to be like, oh yeah, I shouldn't say that. So I just literally sat back and just let him go. Yeah. And man, was that, that was something else. It was, you know, it was one of the, it's, and those are those like, uh, you know what I like to call the fuck the chicken moment which is that like when the guy says I fuck the chicken and you're just like that's it we got it you know we can pack up we can go home you know like and so that's the moment when he like sort of said all that stuff I was like oh yeah he's he's fucking the chicken right now totally fucking the chicken you know you gotta stop yourself yeah and you and the thing is you I never have had a situation where I've like almost started laughing because you're so sometimes you're just so amazed in, in my, for me, I, I sometimes sit there and I'm just like, wow, this person is really saying this. Or you're just so surprised yeah. that they just said what they said. Like one guy when he said, um, poor people need to stop being poor, you know. And that was his kind of conclusion to the health. That was his sort of how he was going to solve the healthcare problem. <laughs> poor people would stop, stop being poor. And... But the minute he said that, yeah. you know, you, I, I know, like, oh yeah, that's 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 our soundbite, you know, yeah. that's we got it, yeah, you know. And then of course he he was like, well, I, you know, maybe that came out wrong. Well, it came out. <laughs> it's it out. came out. <laughs> came out. You know. <laughs> and people will say, you know, when you talk to people, eventually they will they will start to like, yeah talk and reveal themselves you know this yeah you, you know you do that too yeah. but but it's kind of that's what happens you know you yeah, want to get them to a place where they start revealing themselves you just gotta keep letting them talk yeah right and that's what stephen colbert said that to me once he said um when i first was at the daily show they were like oh we're gonna send you out in the field and i think they were nervous because they were like you clearly have never done this before so they sent me to meet stephen colbert and they were like he's gonna give you some pointers and one yeah. of the things he said to me was uh don't be afraid of the silence just sit with the silence and let it be your friend because they will fill <laughs> the space, you know, yeah. and they will start saying things, you know, <laughs> that the, the, to fill that space. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what you want. Yeah. And then he said, um, when you put a camera in someone's face, they get a lobotomy. Yeah. And that was a brilliant sort of piece of advice because it's, it's incredibly true. You know, people want to, they, they just are excited to like be there and say what they want to say that they're passionate about, you know? Yeah. Um, like, like, and, and they, and they will just, you know, like I had a woman, this woman who was protesting a mosque being built down in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And she came into the interview with all these statistics and yeah. she got off the internet and whatever. Right. And she said, uh, one in five Muslims are terrorists. That was her statistic that she, yeah. and I was like, well, where'd you get that? And she was like, off the internet. It's like, you know, and she was very, like, she had not done, then she was like, said to me, like, you do the math. Yeah. And so I did. And yeah. then that was like, so that means the 700 million terrorists in the world. <laughs> yeah. The fuck is taking us so long? You yeah. know, it was that kind of, and she hadn't really thought it through. Right. And then when presented with that, she realized like how absurd that was. Yeah. But that's what happens. People come in and they're so excited in some cases, to say what it is they want to say, you know, like, well, like I've been holding react? all this racism inside of me <laughs> yeah. for so long, I really need to get it out. And somebody's finally asking me to say, you know, what I think about these fucking assholes, you yeah. know, and, and what, that's what happened. What did she say when you gave her this, the math? I think she, she just sort of was like, 
Well, uh, you know, you're. She, I, th- I, I think I don't think we ever used it in the piece because I think she kind of like deflected it and right. went somewhere else. You know, so which how is what usually happens. Yeah. How long have you been on the show now? Seven and a half. It's your years. primary gig. It has been actually. I'm I'm on a leave of absence right now because I'm doing this HBO series. So I actually have taken some time off from the Daily Show. Which series? So I'm doing a show called The Brink with Jack Black and Tim Robbins that's going to be coming out next year on HBO. Comedy? Uh, it's a comedy. It's a half-hour comedy that I'm also writing for, which is a whole new experience. What's um, the angle? The angle is that the uh, it's called The Brink because it's the, the world is on the brink of Armageddon every season, and it's sort of done in real time, like 24. Yeah. Like you, but you're following it through three departments of U.S. government. So you're following it through... The State Department, the Foreign Service, and the military, and the this three intersecting stories happening simultaneously, and then they all sort of come together at some point, and it all basically there's an escalation of huh. of the world basically on the brink of World War Four. You That's know, interesting. Yeah, so it's and it's Who's a comedy. Cr- who created that? It was created by uh, the writer uh, Roberto Benabib, is the showrunner who was uh, who worked on Weeds. For many yeah. years, and uh, Jay Roach is executive producing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're in this new movie with uh, John, John Ham. Yes, John Ham, called Million Dollar Arm, which is out right now. You got a nice part in that. I do. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I play his business partner. Uh, it's based on a true story, and so that was fun to play. Nice a, guy, John. Yeah, yeah, great guy. Like you know, totally. Uh, it's funny because I'm so not a sports guy. Yeah, and and he is such a baseball fan and this is movies about baseball so like we were down in uh, and and th- I've never gone to like a professional baseball game yeah and so I was down in Atlanta and I went to see the Braves play the Giants for right. the first time in a real I mean I've watched baseball on TV I've just never been in an actual game right and so like John and I was shooting in the stadium of the Atlanta Braves and he looked out at the empty baseball field and he was like Sort of nostalgically, yeah. looked at me and he said, "Asif, you remember your first baseball game?" And I was like, "Yeah, it was last week." <laughs> oh. and, and he was like, "What?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, saw the Braves play the Giants last week." And he's like, "That was your first baseball game?" And I was like, "Yeah." And I think he was about to launch into sort of like, "I can't believe," and then they were like, "Action!" And we had to oh, go. Thank God. But uh, but he it just was... undermined his whole <laughs> he was, beautiful moment. I think he was. I think he was just like horrified. Well, great talking to you, man. Hey, man, it was great to talk to you. And good luck with the show. Thank you very much. That's it. That's our show. Was that a fun conversation? Or what? I like that guy, Asif Manvi. I like saying his name. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, also, as usual, go to WTFPod.com for all your WTFPod needs. Get some JustCoffee.coop if you get the uh, WTF blend. I get a little on the back end. Um, you know, uh, get the app. We're coming up on 500, folks. We're coming up on 500 episodes. Is that astounding? It's astounding to me. 500 episodes. Boomer lives. <laughs>